Vincent the Dude. Hey, good Friday afternoon, everybody, from the heart of Freight Island. A little chilly this morning, man. This fall is first. Nice. Yesterday was the first day of fall, and if you're on social media, everyone was like, like Ingrid, she posted like it was 108 on the thermometer on her truck, and everyone was like posting how hot it was. On yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Not today. This morning, it felt nice and cool. <laughs> it was 61 degrees when I got out and there. And last night felt great, too. There's a couple college football games. We had Chattanooga. Yeah. We had our own Chattanooga moccasins. Yeah, I was watching. I was flipping between them and the Browns. One yeah. game, uh, Browns, well, Browns himself, but so here's the thing: I wanted to support the local team because the Browns yeah, and Steelers game started out so slow and yeah. boring. I was like, yeah, all right, yeah. I'll put the mocks on, but then it got to like twenty-one to nothing, and I couldn't help but think, like, if our buddy Gunner was out there, oh yeah, they totally were like different the mocks story. would be totally different story. Totally different story. Well, I tweeted you after that first uh, field goal. Yeah, uh, Gunner would have blocked that. So I went it back was to, low. Well, I went back to the Steelers game, though, and, you know, I think the biggest shame going on in football right now is that <laughs> a guy named Mitch Trubisky, like, he's got, like, the perfect name for Chicago. He, he had the perfect name for Chicago. He's got a great name as a Steeler quarterback, but he's just not getting the job done. He's today. got the face in the scruffy black beard for Steelers, too. I mean, he could be the face of the Steelers easy. I mean, name alone, he should be, but he's not. He should be. He's from my high school. You know, uh, Brownie the Elf? Who? The elf that they have on the field over there? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I had some Brownie stat. The no, elf. Brownie the Elf. I had some stat on that. I may have actually erased the uh, <laughs> the stat. What was it? I don't know. They won some championships when they had Brownie the Elf out there, so they got that going on for it. <laughs> Who cares about Brown stats from the AFL? Oh, yeah. No, Browns used to kick ass. <laughs> well, you, know, you know what I do care about, though? Check out this new truck, though, that J.B. Hunt just gave over to the University of Arkansas. That is cool, The Hogs man. over here. Check out this uh, video we got of the brand new truck. It's a Lone Star, right? That is super Customized cool. Lone Star? Yeah, yeah, yeah. University very cool. Arkansas very cool. Football? Very cool. Does a horn like yell pig suey or call the hogs? That would be awesome if it, it did. It really would, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, Not that's sure. badass. That's cool. You I know, like it. Our buddy, uh, Stanton, he's over there now. Daniel Stanton. He is. He's, he's a, a professor of, of coolness or something. Yeah, we had them on last year. We had uh, the student body learning supply chain over there. We oh, that's right. We on, did. Yeah, I'm back on the <laughs> show right. this year, too. Interview Got to reach all. out to those guys. Yeah, I forgot. Like our last event was, that was already May. It seems like it was like a month ago, and our next one is like a month away. F three, in Northwest Arkansas. Yeah, yeah, it's very, very. I know. It's just flying by this year, people. Hold on tight. Cruising. Well, on the show today, we're going to be learning from a pro what it takes to perform in the Truck Driving Championship. That's right. Walmart driver Eric Ramsdell. He's going to tell us all about how he plays first for flat betting at the eighty five. 85th, sorry, 85th, 85th, 85th National Truck Driving Championship for Safe Driving. We're going to talk wheel safety with IMA Products' Bob Bortner. we got toll management with uh, Best Passes, Jason Walker, Messing Cross-Border Freight with Rider System, Mario Dorente Jr., latest headlines, news of the weird, all that. But first, got to tip the band, so mm. let's get to it. Do that. Did you know that AIT Worldwide Logistics is one of the fastest-growing freight forwarders out there? They grew by 400% over the last five years, earning a spot on Crane's Chicago Business Fast 50 list. How do they do it? By earning their customers' trust with cost-effective, customized global supply chain solutions. Find out how your business can benefit when you visit. Tell them, dude. Go to AITWorldwide.com immediately after this show. Headlines! 
right, what's going on here? You know, it's I've been saying this all year, ever since like the war started. It's felt like it's the 80s again. Politically, it feels like the wow. 80s. Like the religious climate feels like the 80s. Everything really? that's going on feels like the 80s. Well, also the ports feel like the 80s now. West Coast ports sink to lowest share of U.S. imports since the early 1980s. Wow. You think we'll get an action movie resurgence too? We need I that. hope so. Have you been listening to Duran Duran lately and stuff? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when did I ever stop? Greg Miller says that data from McCown Container Volume Observer released Thursday confor- confirms imports uh, to the top 10 Total top ten ports totaled two million one hundred sixty five thousand TUs in August. That's the fifth highest monthly tally on record. August was flat this year, though, up three percent virtually. But here's the interesting part: the West Coast port share of that total sank to forty five percent. That's a nine point swing from February 2021, when the West Coast boasted a 54% share. In fact, according to John McCown, he's the author of the Container Volume Observer, he marked that West Coast ports, that August marked West Coast ports' lowest share of container volumes since the early 80s. Wow, okay. I'm hungry like the wolf now. The, 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 <laughs> to analyze the coastal shift over time, McCown did all kinds of fancy stuff. He looked at the three-month trailing average, which Makes obviously sense. I would do as well, year-over-year yeah. year change by coastline. The data shows that the latest shift towards the east uh, and Gulf Coasts began in the second quarter of 2021. Upside versus the West Coast has remained throughout 2022, right? So they're still making that shift. As of August, the three-month year-to-year, year-over-year change for the West Coast was minus 5.1% compared to a plus 8.5% for the East Coast. Big hey, swing. That's you might have noticed, swing. too, like last year, people were, were sharing vessel maps in mass, right? And yeah. it got out to the mainstream. People saw those vessel maps, and like sure. they, they weren't used to seeing them. So a lot of times you're not used to seeing something, it's easy to, to get fearful, and then trolls online would be like, yeah, it's a Chinese invasion, there's armies inside like all these ships, and it's like, no, that's, oh. just, a, that's just a vessel map. you got to zoom in to get some more detail. <laughs> well, American shippers surveyed ship position data, though. So remember when you saw the vessel maps, there was 150 container yes. ships waiting um, right off the coast of North America that peaked up in January of this year, most of which were off the West Coast. And you remember that whole big story where they had to move out from the port, and they had to go out of, out of sight, out of mind, all that thing? Well, not really necessary anymore. American shipper surveyed ship position data for marine traffic and official California Quilis on Thursday morning. The survey found that the North American Quilis total has pulled back to 113 ships. That's down 26% from late July. A lot of loosening when uh, it should be peaking. So interesting yeah. times indeed, folks. And that's the total North American. It's not just West Coast. Well, right? and you that, want to get even more drop. confused. It's like record imports, but then like container rates are falling. Well, and- I, but yeah, you've got, and you got to marry it with, uh, you know, it, it takes time for it to get here, right? So the right. valve turns off and then it, you know, it hits the, the slowdown hits the West Coast before it hits the East Coast. Or you got to account for that type of yeah. stuff as well. It's pretty confusing. Nonetheless, those are real stats, and that is what's happening. Well, the good news is you are all saving money on your ocean freight. Those containers are down mm-hmm. significantly. It's around like four thousand, maybe thirty five hundred to get a to get over here now. But you're going to spend more to ship your packages if you do it with FedEx. FedEx has announced what? the largest general rate increase in its history, and I'm an ex FedEx guy. You know that, so I hate to say stuff like this. But Mark, you Mark Solomon reports FedEx Group announced late Thursday six point nine percent GRI for 2023. Historic. The increase can apply to all FedEx services, except it's less than truckload service. You got some LTL. I guess you're good there. FedEx yeah. freight uh, increases there will range between 6.9% to 7.9% de- wow. depending 
on the transportation scale. You know how freight works. You got a lot of volume, you're going to pay that little number. You got like two shipments. Sorry, buddy. You're paying. Yeah, yeah. You don't got no contract. You're playing, uh, you're playing what the uh, typical Joe uh, does. So typically, FedEx raises its annual tariff rates between 4.9 and 5.9%. And analysts were expecting a 2023 GRI increase of about 6% or more to offset the impact of inflation. Makes yeah. sense, right? It's crazy. On one level, GRIs, which apply to non-contract shipments, non-contract shipments usually. Yeah. We usually see those, and it doesn't apply to everybody. However... They're more symbolic, though, right? They were more symbolic. You know, we used to do them when we say it's going to be four and hope to get two. But do they indicate <laughs> anything? Like, what? what is significant about this, then? The, what is significant about this one is that the level of contract rates increases, uh, and the discounts granted from those increases are pegged to actions that parcel carriers take with their GRIs. As a result, these GRIs are a key barometer on what rates and discounts the shippers can expect in their contracts. These are going to hit actual contracts. Well, you know, FedEx had that 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 earnings report that scared yes. everyone out there. You saw that. They talked about the yes. looming global recession, the R word that's been on yes. the tips of everyone's tongue. Um, but there's been a lot of arguments. Is this a FedEx thing? Were they too slow to react? Is this more indicative of the uh, overall freight economy? And we've been tracking here through most of the year that sure. big decline and that recession movement that had been happening within the freight industry, within our freight wave sonar data. But FedEx is really taking the brunt of it right now. And they're making mm. all these other plans right now. They want to save between 2.2 to $2.7 billion. They think that they can do it through some of these changes they're doing with the GRIs that they're in place. And the company said it would reduce the number of FedEx Express flights and temporary park an undetermined number of aircraft. These moves will save another $1.5 billion to $1.7 billion. I mean, that just seems like smart business, too. I mean, they should have yeah. just done this sooner. Uh, FedEx said it will save you $300 million to another $500 million on its FedEx ground unit by closing certain sorting operations and suspending some Sunday delivery service. However, it's not closing their Sunday delivery service entirely, although some have suggested that they should, Michael Vincent. Yeah, maybe they should. I don't know. Going into holiday season and peak, uh, it's going to be tough to do, I would think. They're probably going to be bombarded with stuff. I mean, everybody else is, right? You're, they're hiring, and I, I don't know. We'll see what happens. It well, seems like they should be doing this stuff. It, it almost looks like, hey, pay more, worse service. Yeah. <laughs> and you got an article. We don't have time to get to it. You have an article on backthetruckup.com. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's basically uh, truck drivers. Drivers are it's 1 to 11, right? Number of spaces to number of drivers. Number yeah. of drivers of spaces, 1 to yeah. 11 out there. Drivers have a big struggle with driving. You have a story up about community in Florida that is now banning drivers from even parking in front of their own home. So go to backthetruckup.com. Check that yeah, out. Yeah, check it out. It's a crazy story. The acreage. The acreage, yeah. Growing up. Growing cans. Let's talk to Mario. Mario already is the freight brokerage sales manager over at Rider System. And, you know, he might recognize this uh, this guy right on our desk over here. Mario, you know this guy? Glad to see our concierge there, uh, front row. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, love, I love the concierge. We're, you're over in, uh, what, Laredo, right? You're over more than Boulder. No, I'm in Laredo, Texas. Yes, sir. What is, like, I was looking up Laredo because I've never been down to Laredo, and it seems like you guys have a pretty cool planetarium over there. Oh yeah, we do down at the uh, at the university. We've got that planetarium, and of course, we're surrounded by trucks. So if, if you're not in trucking and you're in Laredo, you're doing something wrong because uh, you know we've we've been consumed by warehouses and, and trucks coming through, and, and we're expanding our our uh, our roads to be able to handle all these trucks. But it's it's definitely a great city to be in. Yeah. So what do you guys get into over there? What does the rider brokerage unit uh, do, and more specifically, yourself? Sure. So the rider, uh, I'm in charge of the rider brokerage team, the outside sales team. So my team is scattered over the U.S. Uh, my focus that, that I've come on uh, is is really to push rider into into Mexico more than we are doing now. We we do help 
a lot of customers that we have in Mexico at the moment, but I wanted to make sure that we bring that spotlight on to Rider Brokerage uh, and, and what we can do with this cross-border abilities that we have. Not, not a lot of people know that, that we're able to help them with, with this cross-border capacity. So wanted to really, really spotlight on that. That's awesome stuff. So let's do that, Mario. Specifically, what do you guys get into as far as helping to expedite those uh, international freight from uh, the USA and Mexico, vice versa, both ways, right? Sure. So, so we're strategically placed all over the, the border, especially here in Laredo. We've got our facilities here that we can use to, to both cross dock and move freight directly through Laredo and the ports here in Laredo. Um, Laredo being the largest inland port that we have along the U.S., of course, we see a lot of freight come through here. So we're able to partner with our Rider Mexico team. And we've got our equipment that we lease out in Mexico to our partner carriers that we use as that capacity to move that freight. So we've got support on both sides of the of the uh, of of the U.S. and Mexico. Yes, sir. Well, so Mary, one interesting trend that happened, and actually we talked about it in the news story, was that big shift of cargo from the West Coast to the East Coast. Mm, but one of the true. beneficiaries of all that was the Port of Houston. Now that's ocean freight, but you got me curious. In terms of cross-border Mexican freight, what's that market been like, like lately over uh, over in this quarter? And um, you know, how busy has your well, team been? Yeah, definitely. We've been real busy. I think it hasn't just been this quarter. I think there's been a, a deficit of freight coming back southbound into Mexico, causing that imbalance, of course, for, for outbound freight. So right now we're still working through that. Um, but I think with the partner carriers that we have on and bringing in more capacity, you know, we bring on our, our allied carriers and really help with that with that influx of capacity. Um, but the market is is still as it's been. You know, southbound freight coming into Mexico is 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 uh, less than what we have coming outbound. So there's a large imbalance of, of freight that we're looking to work through. Um, but luckily, we've been able to get through all of that with all of our partner carriers that we have and our equipment that we're, we're leasing out in Mexico as well. Yeah, so you guys have a very strong presence in Mexico. How do you leverage that to provide a better service? Sure. So the, the, those same trucks that we lease out to our partners in Mexico is the same is the same capacity that we use ourselves to move freight, you know, out of Mexico into the U.S. and vice versa. So it gives us a leg up, right? We've got that equipment that we lease out, and and, and we partner with those same carriers. So we we've got that kind of that relationship built up on the Mexican side as well as the U.S. side. You know, you brought up an interesting point there, too. You were talking about the, the sort of inbound and outbound flow. How important is it to cross-border trade that you have those going both directions? Because when you think about equipment positioning, you need that return trip or you need that trip there to make equipment match up. Or you get those imbalances, which can cause some of the biggest disruptions in freight are those imbalances. Like, that's what we went through over the past couple of years. Yep. Yep. And unfortunately, the, the, the customer gets a brunt of that, right? If, if there isn't, you know, the, the movement or the freight to go southbound, Customers are paying round trip to move these trucks, you know, empty from Laredo down to Querétaro and then back into Laredo. So it's it's that that imbalance hurts everybody. It hurts prices and it, and it hurts the supply chain for for these companies. So we're we're here to you know we're here to try to work through that, and we've been doing a really great job of it, I think, so far. Yeah. So Mario, as 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 well as the service and having that experience both ways for inbound and outbound as well, having those strong ties and those assets within Mexico lends itself to a customer having a little bit better, uh, a stronger sense of security as well, right? Yeah, definitely. We we offer through our through our transportation management the full a full scope to where they can see where their equip where their freight is at all times. So we've got that watchtower type you know, command center that we offer to these customers where they, they're certain they know where their freight is and, and they got that, they have that peace of mind that they're, that they're taking care of. 
Now, in a past life, I used to do cross-border shipment clearances, but I was mostly with the Canadian border, and the big issue over there was uh, the B3s and things like that. But there's always some sort of border-exclusive issues that came up. When we're talking about the Mexican and U.S. border, uh, like I know you have the pedimentos over there, but like how, how, what kind of issues are shippers facing getting through there? Aside from the just imbalances, like what do you, what should shippers know about dealing with cross-border freight in Mexico? Sure. So I think I think the shippers need to understand that the, the, the requirements are changing, like you were saying about the pedimentos. So we have the pedimentos. Um, I think laws are changing as well uh, to, to where they're trying to adapt to, to make sure everything goes through in, in, a, in a quicker fashion and really not not slow down that that uh, that crossing uh, experience for these trucks. Uh, because we have lines, you know, if, if, if the system goes down and, and, and the ACE system and, and, and any pedimental system goes down, we've got trucks backed up on both the U.S. side and the Mexico side. Um, so I think just having everything in place, making sure that you're working with a partner like Ryder, they can make sure that everything is in place for you and it'll minimize any of these unnecessary delays at the border. Yeah, so Mario, you're talking about all these these relationships and, and making sure things are in place and the different locations that you guys have. How do you guys go about, or how does Ryder go about picking these uh, strategic locations and partners along the southern border to ensure that you have uh, the, the right support? Sure. So it's 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 like you said, we we pick the the the, the border crossing points of, of of most interest, right? So we've got Laredo, McAllen, El Paso, uh, and and even up up to California, where we partner with with uh, our customers as well, their warehousing needs and spaces that we can manage for them, and we can in turn use that that space to help the rest of our customers come through the border and any warehousing that they may need. We have capacity for it as well along along the border, just like we do here coming through Laredo at our own facility. Now, Mary, before I let you go, I keep seeing that picture over uh, over your. Sh- is that the Monopoly Man? Is that a painting of the Monopoly it's the Man? The Monopoly guy. It is. It is. <laughs> so it's the Monopoly Man with uh, with the Texas and the Mexican flag, and uh, he's holding up some money bags. So that's uh, just, just some uh, some inspiration for me when I come into the office. I dig it. I dig it. Well, hey, people who are do- need they need questions. They have questions about cross border Mexican freight. It, does Ryder have a special site for that? Where do we send them to to get that answered? Sure. Yeah, we do have a site. So we, we have all of our contact info. They can reach out directly to me. Uh, my email is uh, mario.duartejr at rider.com. And I can make sure to get them, you know, routed to the right direction. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Thanks for joining us. And if I'm out in Laredo, I got to hit up that end. Thank you guys so much for having, having me on. Take care. Unbelievable. Yeah, I was looking up. They got like a uh, like one of the only digital sort of planetariums in the country over there. Oh, no kidding. Things. You know what I was looking up? What? The Monopoly guy's real name. Do you know what it is? Uh, ooh, I don't know. Rich Uncle Penny, Penny Bags. Oh, okay. Penny Bags. There you go. Interesting. Well, <laughs> meanwhile, they were looking at a Mario Kart. No, this is oh, K1. Oh, oh, sp- oh, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Now, if they play this again, now watch closely here. So this guy that actually gets hit, he's pretty lucky because that wheel like rubs his helmet, but it doesn't like really knock his head. He's fine. His head's moving around. The other guy who went airborne, though, he might need some back surgery after that. Did you see the way he landed? Yeah, he got compressed twice. Yeah, that's not good. You ever jump wrong on a trampoline and like you hit with your knees already up? Yeah. (laughs) But here's the thing. You can take it like a lot of times you can take a hit like that if you're like 16 years old on the track. Yeah. Like you'll just walk away. But now like if you're in your 40s or older, like I'd be done. I wouldn't be be walking for six months. I would be crippled. I would be I would be at least 
in pain for a while. <laughs> well, anyways, let's talk about some safety, some wheel safety. I hope that the wheels weren't the reason for that accident, but uh, <laughs> they're at least somewhat involved because they got the they got the cart there. But it's Bob Bordner's territory manager, Mid Atlantic Region at IMI Products. Hey, Bob, thank you so much for coming back. By the way, I have these socks handy here. And the only reason I'm not wearing the shirt is because it was, like, really chilly this morning when we were walking. Well, when I was walking the dog. We, we don't walk the dog together. But when I was walking the dog, <laughs> I don't know what happened to you. I was planning on wearing mine. But here they are. Take a look at these great shirts IMI sent us. Hey, those are fantastic, man. I'll make sure to have it on next time. Awesome. <laughs> those are awesome. It's really good seeing you. Awesome. How you been, Bob? Doing great. How about you guys? We're doing good, man. We, uh, you know, we've been waiting for to have you on ever since we got these shirts a couple weeks ago. So excited to have you here. By the way, that backdrop behind you is that is that wallpaper? Is that like corrugated metal? I, oh, there we go. I don't know. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I like this it. This is our this is our this is our premium office room in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. I'm glad you can see the IMI now because when you, when I first was in there, you could. Yeah. No. It's fall here now, too. It's a lot cooler. Today, like the first day where you could tell it was fall. So those socks will keep you guys nice and warm. Yeah, I may need them. It's dropped. It's going to be like 55 degrees here tonight. So, yeah, yeah it's dropped here, too. Bundle up, Michael Vincent. I'm well, going to. Tires and wheels, there's some of the, the, the main areas you're going to find violations on a truck. Let's talk a little bit about safety on there. What are the, what are the most common areas of violations people are going to find? Okay, well, first thing is don't get on the bumper cars based on your last video. So that's definitely out the door. So I'll give you some homework for today. When you guys leave and you're driving home, take a look at the wheels on all the trucks you see going up and down the road. There, you're going to see two distinct things. Uh, the first distinct thing is the wheels are either going to be steel or aluminum. And then the second distinct thing you're going to see are they're either going to be nice and clean, look shiny, or they're dirty, rusty, and corroded. So the ones that are dirty, rusty, and corroded are the ones that when when the fleets are getting when the trucks are getting pulled over for the DOT, CSA, CVSA, those inspectors are more prone to dissect a truck with those dirty and corroded wheels are as opposed to some that have a nice shiny wheel. So um, the wheels and tires are in the top five uh, violations. And what basically what they're looking for are elongated bolt holes, cracks, no visible DOT stamping. You, you got to be able to see the DOT stamp and be able to read it or that wheel is actually should be termed out of service. The, the Technology Maintenance Council uh, makes recommended practices and they're very specific on what are some of the out of service items for wheels. So Bob, I'm interested because, you know, when, back in the day when I was a terminal manager, everybody knew we got audited once a quarter, right? And everybody knew there were certain things that the auditor saw first, our home office would audit. And if you were clean on those, you usually had a good audit. If you weren't, they knew to look further. Is that wheel cleanliness that key to look further into the engine and everything else there as far as the inspectors are looking at from from what i've been told and from what i've seen yes if you have a, a say you have a brand new truck you know yeah. obviously you're not going to have you know the wheels are nice and clean sure but the fleets that keep up with the refinishing of their steel wheels and the 
their aluminum wheels, they're more prone to just, you know, hey, just go on through. But if you pull up and your wheel's supposed to be white and it's brown and the paint's chipping off, yeah, that's a red flag. So that's when they take a little bit more time and then start digging in and then who knows what they're going to find. But luckily, the both the steel wheels and the aluminum wheels can be refurbished and refinished. A lot of commercial tire dealers across the country do this for a fraction of the cost of a brand new wheel. You know, it's a little bit like broken window theory, which is just a human yeah. psychological thing where yeah. when you see you go through an area, there's a bunch of broken windows, you're going to litter, you're going to be dirtier. You go to someone's house, they have a bunch of dirty dishes, you're more likely to throw a dirty dish in, in the sink. Yeah, it's very yeah, human yeah, nature. Yeah. Notice that where something's kept pristine, you're likely to keep it pristine too. And I think that a lot of inspectors, you got to use visual logic yeah, when you're yeah. looking at trucks. And if you see yeah. a bunch of like Sharpie lines that are supposed to be the tread marks, you're going to pull them over. Sharpie lines. <laughs> Sharpie lines. Yeah, that's not going to get you there. Well, you mentioned steel wheels, and I don't think you're talking about the Rolling Stones tour. So how do you maintain those? So um, basically, a lot of the commercial tire dealers have a, a system to refinish them. We call it Milcure. So what Milcure is, is, is a three-step safety inspection process. That corroded, uh, rusty wheel comes into the dealer. The first step is a visual inspection. Once again, you're looking for cracks, elongated bolt holes, uh, no DOT stamping. And then that wheel goes into a blaster. And what happens inside that blaster, the, it takes off all the old powder and all the old, old coating and takes that wheel down to, to steel. Now you can see it much better. Now it's much clearer. So now's when you do your second inspection. It's called post-blast inspection. You're checking for the same stuff again, but the wheel is much clearer. After that point, the wheel is termed okay, and you can see the DOT stamp. It then gets powder coated. A new, a new layer of powder is put on the wheel, and then it goes through an oven. So in essence, that powder now is being baked onto the wheel. And one of the biggest checks is post-cure. When it comes out of the oven, there's a gauge that you check the, the, the thickness of the powder. The ideal thickness is 3.5 mils. If you have it where it's crazy high, say it's 10, 20, whatever the case may be, the clamping force can be affected when you go to tighten the, the nuts. And then the last check is there's a chemical that you rub on it. It's called MEK. You rub that chemical on if any powder comes off, it means that wheel is not cured and it needs to be baked a little bit longer or for a higher temperature. So there's a standardized process that we try and implement. But a lot of times, you know, with a human doing the coding, you can't be as consistent as you want. But those are the parameters that we go by. Luckily, we actually have a trainable robotic arm now that will put the same consistency and the same thickness on every wheel every time. Wow. See, and I would have just cleaned up the area where the bead touches the uh, wheel, looked at it for cracks, and said, good to go. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> why you're going to be an automation victim. That's why I'm not there. Uh, so what about the aluminum wheels, right? What are the best practices with aluminum? That was steel. Yep. Aluminum, different process, obviously, because it's a, a, a different material. But there's, there's several ways that you can do this, but once again, the TMC has put out some, some recommended practices. The ideal scenario is to clean the entire wheel and the wheel surface. As you were saying, the bead seating area when the, where the tire gets mounted. 
a lot of what is out there now actually shaves aluminum off. We don't really want to do that because when, when you shave the aluminum off, the integrity and then the DOT uh, stamp starts to go. So we actually have a process that cleans the wheel, then deep uh, wash, deep clean, buff, and then a shine. And it gets the entire wheel assembly so you can see where the cracks are. A lot of the current uh, uh, equipment that is out there will only do one side and they can't tell that there are cracks on the other side. So that's a big, big thing now is to make sure that you're, you're really checking these for safety and uh, you don't want to see cracks. And then anybody out there that has wide base or super single drive tires, mm. they should really make sure they're getting those wheels to a, you know, a tire dealer to have a, 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 a visual inspection. Those have been ones that we've seen are more prone, prone to getting some cracking, those wide base super single drive tires. Wow, is that because there's bigger surface area and more, and therefore they have to be of a higher tinsel strength, I guess? Yes. I'm not an engineer, but I can tell you what I've seen. And, you know, they're, they're wider. There seems to be more weight that's on there. And they've definitely been more prone to that. And just go back real quick. The other thing about the steel is in the Northeast and the Mid Atlantic, you have all the road treatments that are being put down now mm -hmm. in yeah. the winter months which causes rust and corrosion. So you want to make sure your provider is using a powder that is taking that into account. Make sure it's specific for the steel wheel. It should have rust and corrosion inhibitors in it. You don't want them using the powder on your steel wheel that they're going to use for a fence post or a mailbox. Totally different application. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, I almost forgot. I've been in Tennessee for three years now. I almost forgot about all that white rolled salt that like gets on the side of your oh, car. Oh, yeah. And now, in, they, uh, now they do the liquid. New England. They do like the... the Brine, they throw all over it. I wouldn't brine. Make. Do you brine your turkey? I we'll do. get into that later. I don't need to waste your time, Bob. <laughs> Bob, thank you so much for coming on here. People, people who are listening, they think they're just spinning their wheels. Uh, they want to get in touch with you. Where do I send them to? www.imiproducts.com. If you want to look at the steel, it's under Our Solutions Mill Cure. If you want to look at the aluminum, it's under uh, Our Solutions Illuminator. Thanks for having us. Have a great weekend. And if you hit the uh, K1 go kart track, drive safe out there, Bob. Yeah. Will do. You guys do the same. <laughs> Take I care. Put my IMI socks on. Do you, do you brine your, uh, are you, do you I fry do. your turkey yes. or brine it? Absolutely. You, you both. Huh? You brine it and then fry it? Uh, no, I smoke one and oh. bake the other. But yes, brine both. Brine them both. Yeah. You ever like stick one inside the other? In no, there? like a turkey turkey or. Like a tur turducken, wasn't that? Yeah, well, John turducken, Ed? but uh, if you put one turkey inside another turkey, that's. That's a tur turkey. Redundant, isn't Something it? Something like that. I don't know. That's a re-turkey? Re I don't know. Do you remember what Vaughn Moore from AIT said last time he was on the show? I do. He said, bigger isn't better, better is better. He sure did. Whether it's new offices in India, expanding life science operations in Europe, or acquiring one of the best final model providers in the U.S., AIT's exponential growth is driven by anticipating and responding to customer needs. Discover how they can help your business gain fast, streamlined access to new markets at, tell them, dude. Hey, AITWorldwide.com. Go there immediately after the show. Hey, speaking of the Northeast, I know uh, I know some truck drivers up in Rhode Island who were, like, jubilant because the truck-only tolls just got struck down up there. Yeah, the truck-only ones, right? Yeah. Was that the issue because it was only trucks? I think so. It was, like, discriminatory. 
Okay. It's trucks. Because, you know, most roads are like, you know, cars are this and trucks yeah. are more. But if it's just trucks, that's what they're saying. Yeah, I think uh, it was. Well, let's talk to someone who actually knows about this kind Oh, of yeah, that'd be, yeah. A, that'd be a good Let's talk to thing. Jason Walker. He's Chief Revenue Officer over at Best Pass. Jason, you know a thing or two about tolls, don't you? I hope so. How are you guys today? <laughs> How are you? We're open, too, because that's why you're on. <laughs> <laughs> How did you develop such an interest in tolls at an early age, Jason? <laughs> well, it's actually a recent interest. I've uh, been with BestPass now since uh, the beginning of the year. Uh, prior to that, I was in the telematics space for about uh, 10 plus years. So I've had a, a good experience in the, in the fleet industry. And uh, tolling is actually a, a lot more interesting than you uh, probably think. No, yeah, I've always, ever since I was a kid, I've been fast back when they used to have like toll operators and stuff. I used to be, by the way, you know, David Ortiz on the Red Sox, he used to always stop at the, uh, the tolls and, and give the money to the toll people because that's, you know, he liked doing that. But all the tolls got I, I stop and give my money to toll people, too, when they're there. Yeah. Well, what's, what was the biggest difference between the uh, – well, they usually have a pass now that you don't have to oh, do Oh, yeah, 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 the pass. What is it, before we get into all this, what is the biggest difference that you've noticed between telematics and tolling, though? Now I'm curious. So, well, for one thing, um, the, I think the telematics space is, is so um, prolific uh, just with competition, uh, different options, technologies just advanced – uh, so quickly over the last 10 years, if you think about maybe where it, where it was in 2010 with with tracking becoming generally accepted, uh, then the ELD, mandate, ELD mandates that came out. And then, you know, now the introduction of cameras, the, the technology has just leapt forward so far. I think with tolling, because of the, the nature of it, it's a, you know, there are so many different agencies. It's it's very um, disparate across how it's done throughout the uh, the country. It's probably evolved a little bit more slowly, but there have been uh, quite a few uh, changes. One of the things you were just illustrating, talking about the fact that there's really no longer um, people taking money. It's all done electronically, and that's a, a lot where BestPass comes in to help optimize this type of stuff for our customers. Now, are fleets thinking enough about this? Because when I think about the, the guests we have on here, Michael Vince, they're usually talking about, I don't know, driver health, driver pay, driver retention, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, equipment. Yeah. They're talking about wheels like we were just talking about in the segment beforehand. Should they be focusing more on tolls? So the answer, I think, is, is yes. And, and the way that I like to talk about that is to, to describe it as the way we, we see it is that tolling is really a distraction to fleets. But it's a re reality of doing business. So what I mean by that is we typically see that there's there's never an official place where toll lives within a fleet organization. And what that means is that it's really an afterthought and it's usually dumped on someone like the fleet manager, the safety director, maybe the finance team uh, to handle. And so regardless of how much time it takes to deal with the person strapped with it can't actually work on what they were hired to do. And when that's something is fleet efficiency, safety, as an example, I think the potential negative impact to an organization is tremendous. So while it's not usually the first thing people are thinking about, to, to really move the fleet forward, it's something that they have to get under control so they can actually get back to what they were hired to do. So just as an example, you know, we know that on average, before someone becomes a customer of ours, it takes a staff of about three people up to 40 hours um, a week or a month, rather, to manage transponders on the vehicles, maybe 30 hours of making the payments for the tolling in general, and then an additional 30 hours processing and pain violations. So for a lot of fleets, it's really just impossible to get what they really need 
to move their fleet forward until they get that drag of the toll and, and dealing with that under control. So what we really focus on is helping streamline that process and give key employees the time back that they need to make better decisions, not only for their business in the, in the tolling arena, but which helps them optimize their fleet because we're going to offer things like <clears throat> toll costs by vehicle, route optimizations they can make. But then they can also look at charging back tolls to customers, as an example. And our customers see a dramatic positive return in both time and money when they partner with us. And, and that monetary piece is, is really just the beginning because most fleets um, you know, really get the greatest benefit by using the data we provide to make smarter decisions for the routes to avoid and how to maximize travel, um, but then also getting back to being able to do their real job. That's a, a, there's so much there to, to, to look at and think about when you think about tolls and you're, and you're right. It's like a secondary thing in my life yeah. over there. We were always dealing with that type of stuff. Right. Sure. And we did just dump it. I don't even know who was responsible for it. And I was there for 12 years running operations. Usually you're just happy. It's not you. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Unless you're, unless you're that guy. Yeah. yeah, unless you're that guy. You don't know. So if I call you guys and get with Best Pass, are you going to hand me, here's another, here's a pass and it's and it's better. Or are you going to help me really look into those different things that I can do to better optimize my tolling? Yeah, so the, the answer is the latter, right? So really we we focus in, in the on, on really four key areas and, and these are the areas of the problems that we solve. The first thing that we're going to allow and work with you on is uh, improving lack of visibility. And I'll kind of, I'll expand on each of these, but there's really four key things. It's lack of visibility, uh, the manual processing of paper toll and violations, the excess spend that kind of results from one and two there, that lack of visibility and the processing. And then the other thing that we'll see and help with um, uh, a lot is incomplete coverage or what I would just call sub-optimized coverage. So just starting with that first one, lack of visibility, what we see typically or what I'm, I'm talking about there is that most fleets that we work with have, have really no, no idea um, how that tolling data comes in so that they can aggregate it to, to adjust routes, do things like minimize fuel spend, allocate costs even across the fleet. Um, many customers, um, if they're decentralized, literally have no way to actually calculate what they're even spending on toll to begin with. So that's the first thing that we, we start to address. The other piece on manual processing, what we're talking about there is really mail at the office, right? So a lot of fleets have stacks of it. I, we'll get on the phone, talk to a safety director, talk to a, a fleet manager, and we'll ask them, you know, what's going on? And the first thing they do is hold up a stack of paper this high. And it's like, these are the violations I've got this month. I need a way out of this so I can get back to doing what I need to be doing. And if you know, they, they're doing that and they have a, a fleet that's traveling across the country. They could be working with up to, you know, 45, 50 agencies. And what we do is we eliminate that. So think going from 50 down to one and then having the ability to actually quantify what is happening um, out there with the data so that you can make better decisions. Um, when we focus on things like excess spend, there are two real areas that we're looking at. The first thing is the, the excessive administrative costs that just in the time that it takes for these people to deal with toll, that takes them away from what they need to be doing. And that again, could be the fleet manager, safety, accounting, finance, whoever. Um, but then also because we get that, that spend under control and the data is there from a visibility standpoint, we can help put a plan together, excuse me, 
to mitigate future fees and violations, which is really the core of what we do. And so that toll reduction starts to immediately uh, take effect in the, in the form of a reduction in fees, violations, and different types of um, uh, uh, fees that are going to come in and cause that excessive cost. The last thing that we really help with is looking at optimizing coverage. So one thing that we will work with our our customers with is analyzing where they're traveling, what types of devices they need to have in the vehicles, and then how to have the proper backup so that we eliminate that problem of getting the the penalties. Because that's where most of that cost can actually build up from is is just fines for not having the proper coverage. And that's what we really help people look at. Wow, really cool. Well, if people want more information, they want to hear more about this, where do we send them to? Send them to uh, best, it would be www.bestpass.com would be the best place to start. There's a lot of information there. Um, and, you know, the phone number is on the website. We've got chat on the website. Um, you know, the first thing I would just say is like, you know, call us so that we can have discussion. What we're going to do is help you analyze what's going on, discuss if we can help. And then, you know, most importantly, how we look at those things and what we'll measure together to track success. So, um, yeah, excited to, to help anyone out there who needs it. And uh, thanks again for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Jason. Yeah, Take excellent. care. Have a great thanks, weekend. Jason. Yeah, thank you. Good stuff. It seems like a, a, a thing that is ripe for complete digital automation, totally, yeah. right? With ELDs and GPS and all that kind of stuff. Why do you need a toll road or anything like that? You know, like, why, yeah. There. I mean, like, they're, they're ripping them out most places. I mean, yeah. they're putting the transponders on them. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, like, I know a couple of people, and it's like, why why haven't you gotten, like, a transponder yet? And then they're like, I tinfoil hat. You know, I don't want the government tracking me. <laughs> they know where I, you're at, dude. You got a cell phone. <laughs> you, 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 <laughs> got, you got this. <laughs> they know where you are. I yeah. know where you are. There's also that little sticker you know on you your new car. Some, you, know, you know you can pay someone, like, $25 to, like, track someone's SIM card? Oh, is that right? On the black market. Is that yeah. it? Yeah, don't don't do to make a phone call. <laughs> I mean, just look in your new vehicle. Right up there, it says data exchange is in process. Right on your car. Yeah. I mean, they're tracking your car. <laughs> hey, well, so we may or may not have Eric Ramsdale. He's a first-place winner flatbed division at the 85th National Truck wow. Driving Championship for and safe I driving. I don't know. He may be stuck in traffic. I am not sure. But here's a video on what went down in the event. I'll show you oh, the guys that. Cool. This is my um, first time being to Nationals and to be here with Walmart and the pride that they take in. Just to wear the Walmart on the on the shirt, it, it means a lot. Ecstatic, enjoyment, enthusiasm. The words can't describe it. I, I have been in awe since I have been here. As expression goes, I'm on cloud nine. I got started many years ago when, uh, when I first got in the career. I started in 1989. I went to the Mississippi State Truck Driving Championship. I won third place. I've been hooked ever since, and the overreaching goal is to get up here and win the Grand Championship. My experience today at the competition was favorable for me. I had a good day, I had a nice game plan of driving the course, and I was able to execute that game plan and had a quite the success today. I feel privileged to represent such an awesome company that will take time and, and also invest in their drivers to put them in front of the world stage and say, hey, we got the best of the best. And it's like competing at the Super Bowl. It's the top of, uh, of our industry. If you've ever been here before, you always want to go back. So what that was all about, what that was, what that was all about was uh, 
Walmart, there's this big, there's that National Truck Driving Championship in Indianapolis, the 85th annual. Some right. of you may be familiar with that. Yep. Um, Walmart had a few drivers that placed. They had uh, Eric Ramsdell, who uh, may or may not show up, first place flatbed division. Uh, Mike cool. White, third place for the sleeper berth division. And oh. Dennis Scharrer, third place for the tank truck division. We want to learn all about this. So if they do, uh, if he does show up, we'll bring him on air. In the meantime, it's Friday. So let's go to some good news, bad news. Speaking of Walmart, right? We can still start off with Walmart topics here. Yeah, that's why not? First Let's one. stay on it. You order some from Walmart and you want it now. Now. I got to have it now. Here's the good news. Check out their drone program. Here's oh. a video on how this all works. Um, or uh, by a Walmart associate through an express order. So now that we have our package, we do um, a check uh, physically to check that the, the parachute and the box are all good. There's no hazmat. Checking for CG as well. It's moving around a bit, but it's the product that's inside. Um, and then we load the parachute, there's a little nutty clip in the uh, body's belly, and then we put the box in through. So if you can see here, when you open the doors, this is elastic bands. So these are what are pushing the uh, box out um, once these payload doors are open. So um, we're using the force of gravity to push it out, keep it going, and then the money clip here holds the parachute so it'll come out shortly after. Here comes the wing. Wham, they're white. Yeah. Uh, but it also has two important instruments on it. Object deployed one, two, five, zero, and three, two, one. Whoa. Right, so that's so, just a giant slingshot? And here's what happens when it comes oh, oh, back oh, oh. to you. And no, it's not a giant slingshot. Here it slingshot. comes, guys. The drone is back. Now, this is when they go skeet shooting. Yeah, pull. This is how that happens. No, here, you see it coming right over here on the horizon? It comes in, and look, it, it hits like this, uh, it's like the new Top Gun movie, where like they had no landing gear, so they gotta catch it with a wire. They hook it with a wire. You think that would impact the durability well, of it? Well, that was something. I, I, uh, I imagine there's some stress on that when they catch it like that, right? Now, so as I understand it, this is their location in Northwest Arkansas. That was over at their HQ that that TikToker had visited, and he was getting the full demonstration on how the drones work. Now, I looked deeper into this, and okay. apparently Walmart drone delivery service is available in Arizona, Arkansas, Florida, Texas, Utah, and uh, Virginia. There's only select neighborhoods in each one due to different regulations and drone laws. Uh, if you live in Phoenix, Dallas, Tampa, Orlando, Salt Lake City, or Richmond, you can order something anytime between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. and get it delivered by drone in under two hours for $3.00. And 99 cents, customers can order anything from batteries, toilet paper, diapers, hot dog buns. Um, yeah. Have yeah I, I mean, I could see us. I could see you over for a barbecue and, and us doing this just because, hey, we can't. Hey, you know what? We need hot dog buns. You know what? Let's get them from Walmart and have them fall out of the sky. That'll be kind of cool. My only, <laughs> so, <laughs> right? my only question, and this isn't necessarily shade at Walmart, but we did show... Oh, Eric is here. Eric. Eric is here. I wonder if he's ever flown a Walmart drone before. Let's bring him up. I don't know. Hey, Eric, we were we just showed the video on your awesome truck driving championship, and we're also seeing the, the next evolution of Walmart with their drone delivery. So that was interesting as well. But, uh, hey, congratulations. Flatbedding, do you feel finished first place? Yes, yes. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me today. Yes, it was a, it was a great accomplishment and, and quite, a, quite an exciting feat. Uh, winning flatbed at nationals. 
Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, explain the event just a little bit. Like, you know, who, who is there? Who are you competing against? What's going on there? Okay, the National Truck Driving Championships, it's a group of, of state champions uh, from all over the country, all over the uh, 48 United States plus Alaska and Hawaii are can send competitors to this event. It starts at a local level, usually a local competition within a company's own drivers. Then they qualify from there to move on to a state competition where drivers compete in the eight different classes of competition. Uh, and then they take the first place winners out of the state competition and move them up to the nationals. When you get to nationals, everybody in your class are all state champions from the res rep uh, respective states. And then they and then they compete for the title of national champion in their own class. And then they choose an overall grand champion as well. Wow. So what's the, what's the experience like when you're there? Is everyone really cocky because they're these awesome truck drivers or, or is it a big celebration of trucking? How does the whole thing go down? It's, it's kind of more of a celebration of trucking. Um, we call it the Super Bowl of safety. It's the Super Bowl of trucking. It's our biggest event and it's all about safety. It's about drivers sharing knowledge with one another to make themselves better, safer drivers on the road, which is what it's all about. Is, is perfecting our crafts, honing our skills, and making us better drivers on the road to where everyone can get home safely to their families and, and, and motoring public can get home safely to their families as well. Now, the safety and the, and the prep, that, that all sounds great. Do you do a lot of training? Do the drivers do a lot of training for an event like this? I feel like even being involved in it is almost like forcing yourself into continuous improvement because mm. you have to keep practicing your skills in order to compete against yeah. all these other state champions. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's something you practice for. Uh, it starts, like I said, at the local level. And, the, and once you go and compete, you can actually, the obstacles they have you can uh, practice or compete and, and try to score on are replications of real-world scenarios that we encounter every day on, to, on the roads. So we try to practice every day, and then we also set aside uh, separate closed facility practices to where we can hone our skills and get better and better at maneuvering equipment around obstacles without coming in contact with them. So yes, there's lots of hours of practice that go into the competitions. And those of us that take it very seriously, we may practice tens and hundreds of hours prior to going to a competition to be able to, to as we say, put our game face on and have a good game plan going into the competition. Wow. So, Eric, um, uh, winter is, is tremendous. Are there people there that when they walk in, the other competitors go, ah, now there's a legend right there. Yeah. Or, ah, rats, I'm not going to win this year because Dooner showed up. Yeah. <laughs> or Eric, or Eric's here, veteran or Eric's trainer here, Eric. And next year they're going to be like, well, there goes flatbed. Eric's here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's, it's, there's always the fun ribbing between, between all of us. You know, we always go, oh, my gosh, you're in this class. and How am I going to win this class? But it's any given day, any driver can win. Once you get to the nationals, any driver there can win the class. There is some drivers that are naturals at it, and they do very well every year. And there's others that, that one year they may not do so well, and the next year they do really well. So I've, I've been fortunate enough to do well two years. The other years, not so much. So it's one of those deals that – you just go and you practice, you try to get a game plan, you try to execute, but yes, there is 
some drivers that go there and they've been there multiple times and they're the ones you look at and go, well, it's going to be a tough competition because so-and-so's in my class or that driver from this company's in my class and he's already mm -hmm. won four or five national titles. So now, you know, he's the one that you're trying to beat, but really you compete against yourself is what you're doing. What so is the, what's I the see, toughest? I see uh, drivers that have multiple titles go out and not have a very good day. So it's just, it's, yeah, you compete yeah. against yourself is what you're doing. Well, in your opinion, what was the toughest challenge that they throw out, throw at you and how do you overcome it? One of the toughest challenges is the, the written test. Um, oh. Along with the general knowledge of the industry of FMCSA rules and DOT rules, they give you a book called Facts for Drivers that has knowledge of the industry, has some knowledge of DOT rules and FMCSA rules, and it's about 250 pages long. Well, they take, a, they take 40 questions out of that book, and they're multiple choice questions, but it's, it's what 40 questions are they going to take out of that book. So it's one of the hardest things to study for and know so you know whatever question they ask or how they ask it, you'll be able to answer that question correctly. Just answer C if you don't know. Eric, th um, Eric, thank you so much for your time today on the show. We really, we really appreciate you coming on and sharing a little bit of what goes down at the championships. Are you going to be back next year? Uh, I hope so. If everything works out right and, and uh, my game plans work, I try to be back every year if I can. If I'm fortunate enough to do well enough to, to qualify, I, I plan on trying to be there. Well, you guys, they also got some recent awards. Walmart was excited to share news about the award that they got from uh, by the ATA, right? They got okay. Walmart's private fleet was awarded the safest fleet for over 250 miles. Wow. Really good there. A million miles. Of wow. course. Walmart is also continuing to grow its private fleet. If you're interested in becoming a CDLA driver, you're invited to their open house October 3rd to the 7th, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, in person from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. local time. Tuesday, they have a virtual event at 9 a.m. If you can't make it down there, 9 a.m. Central time. Um, Thursday virtual event 3pm central so Tuesday and Thursday two different virtual events go to wmtcareers.com slash drivers and uh, you can learn from a legend there you go thanks again Eric yes yes <laughs> you're you. welcome thank you very much for having me good stuff yeah. good stuff out of them awesome, the crew man. yeah reach the pinnacle of your trade right yeah and I think we got time for one more video you, we showed a cab oh, yeah, makeover yeah. and some of you reached out and said well what if I don't win a competition do you have any advice on how I can get started on making over my cab? Fortunately, we found a video for you. Let's play it. Things we did to make our truck feel more homey. Hey guys, so we went to Walmart and decided to buy a few things to redecorate the inside of our truck. We already had this wallpaper up from about a year ago, but as you can see, it's definitely time to take it down. We ended up buying this green plant wallpaper. I don't know, we both thought it was aesthetically pleasing and we wanted more color in our truck. Wallpaper is one really good way to make your truck feel more homey, brighten up your space, and as you can see, it does no damage to the inside of your sleeper. So now that we got all the wallpaper off, there's my baby being a weirdo. <laughs> and this is what our sleeper looked like when we first got it. Dull and boring. One trick I learned was that if you rub some acetone on the walls, it will make sure they are completely dry, and that way the wallpaper will stick a lot better. Next step, let's hang this bad boy up. And I had my baby help me with this part. 
So in case your sleeper's like ours, it may have these little random attachments hanging and you don't want your wallpaper bulging out. So we're gonna cut around like so. That makes sense. And don't worry if it's not perfect, you're gonna fill in those spaces with scraps. Sharp looking, sharp looking thing. Can we, I, love it. I don't know if they can fast forward this and show us the end, like the after picture, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Why are they showing our faces? Like... Can you show the video? That video there, there it is, there it is. yeah, there Woo. it is. That's what I'm looking like. Show us your cab if you redo yours. Find me on Twitter at Timothy Dooner. Find him at Vincent the Dude. Subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts. Don't be a stranger and tell him how to be. Hey, peace and love. Spread it everywhere.